Welcome to the Today's Market Explained podcast, hosted by Brian Castle. Brian has been a financial advisor for over 35 years and is the founder of Four Star Wealth in Chicago. He will be sharing the most important investment opportunities out there in ways that are easy to understand and hopefully even easier for you to benefit from. Brian will also be interviewing subject matter experts who can give insights into new and exciting investment opportunities. To see all the best video highlights from every episode, please follow at Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. Now, on to the episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Today's Market Explained, a four-star podcast series. Uh, I'm Brian Castle, your host, and I'm here uh, with our provisional co-host. Uh, we have the return to Today's Market Explained of Trader Jack, Jack Walsh. Jack, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Brian. Great to be here. Jack's got lots of experience in financial markets. Uh, he uh, helps run one of the largest practices within Four Star, so he's a lot to offer. So, um, Jack, welcome. Um, and uh, we like we call him Trader Jack. He's father of three, sports car enthusiast, and of course a, a longtime trader at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. So, uh, we're uh, happy to have you, Jack. Thanks, Brian. And I'm looking forward. We got a lot of things to talk about today. We do. We do. And I'm the founder. I'm Brian Castle, the founder and CEO of Four Star Wealth. I'm an Eagle Scout, National Boy Scout Foundation trustee, uh, advisor to CEOs and insiders, chief dad to Quinn and Evan, and husband to the amazing Trippy. Um, if you like what we're doing, folks, please give us a five out of five. Tell your friends, forward them a copy of this show and have them listen. Uh, we'll be able to tell because we have everything up on a system where we can track who's watching and everything. So that's uh, that's great. So we appreciate your support. Uh, today, we're gonna do our standard review. We're gonna do markets, the economy, and what we see out there. Today's the 11th of July. And uh, Jack, you know, the positioning in the market has somewhat changed recently. So will you have the numbers? Why don't you walk through the six major asset classes and where we stand today? Sure, and the number one position is international equities, that's at 259, that's up 11. A number two is domestic equities, that's at 239, that's up 35. Uh, number three is commodities, 188, down 11. Uh, cash is in number four, 176, up, uh, down, I'm sorry, down 18. We have currencies at 118, that's up eight. And fixed income, at 117 down two. Uh, and what I would note there, Bri, is you know, the Fed has had this inflation fight for well over a year and a half. And notice that uh, commodities have uh, started to fall. So it tells me that the Fed is having some success in its uh, fight against inflation. They are. And commodities are getting close to dipping from the third position down to the fourth position, very close. Uh, but last year, Jack, last year the whole story was commodities. Uh, it was it was grains, it was energy and oil. Now all those prices have seemed to have normalized a little bit, and uh, commodities are starting to fade. But they could come roaring back, Jack, couldn't they? Yeah. Well, um, what we were, um, what we've been talking about on the investment committee is, you know, the Fed has done a lot of work and the, the um, target rate is between five and five and a quarter. They probably still have even more work to do. Um, however, through that whole process, what they have done 
is they've stabilized the dollar somewhat, right? So um, commodities will rise and fall with the value of the reserve currency, which is the um, US, US dollar. So uh, we had a lot of success in one of our portfolios, that dynamic portfolio, um, betting on energy, betting on nickel, uh, betting on betting on grains. Um, but the Fed has done a good job in managing expectations. They continue to, their uh, mantra is higher for longer. We're getting close where real interest rates are gonna go positive. And gosh, I don't think we've seen that in about 15, 20 years, right? And, and when right. I say real interest rates are gonna go positive, meaning that short-term rates are actually going to be higher than the rate of inflation, right? Um, so they've signaled to the market. The market has a 92% probability that they are going to go in July. A lot of people in the market suspect that they will go in September. The odds in the futures markets are only around 30 or 40%, but there's an awful lot of talk about them going in September. And I believe that the Fed does not want to signal a pause. A pause will cause the dollar to fall. People will start to speculate that the rate rising scenario is over and they'll start to pile back in the commodities. So that's why I think this higher for longer is still going to be with us for some time. Could be. Well, uh, Jack, how we played this whole market in 2022 and now into 23, we were maximum cash twice last year. And coming out of the fall of 2022, we are maximum cash, but now the markets are valued a little bit, uh, quite quite a bit in some cases. And there are four positions in our models to get back to fully invested. We're at position three now, so we're almost fully back invested. Um, and and the money that uh, was sitting in cash was earning 5%. So as, as uh, folks sit in a 5% market, they say, maybe I don't take as much risk, so it creates competition the stock market. Now, Jack, you you have some numbers on the concentration of this market. It's very, very concentrated in certain sectors. Yes, um, Bry. So this is just a uh, comparison of June of 2023 versus June of uh, 2015 and the basic top 10 holdings in the S&P. So in um, June of 2015, those top 10 holdings represented 17% of the S&P. And not not shocked by this, you know, Apple was at 3.9%, Microsoft was at 1.96%. Now page mm-hmm. forward to June of 2023, and those top 10 holdings are 31.72%. So double what the top 10 holdings were in 2015, Apple now is 7.5% of the S&P. Microsoft is 6.84. So that's the type of concentrated stock rally that we've had. I mean, I I remember when, when it bottomed and it started to take off and it, said it always starts out with uh, short covering, right? And then there's going to be a story. The story this year has been AI and um, we've got those concentrated positions and it's really been difficult for anybody managing money to try and beat or stay with the index because, because it is so highly concentrated. That's right. 
In fact, uh, 30% of the S&P 500 stocks are still down for the year, yet the index is up about 14%. So it shows you there's some heavy concentration on the other side as well. And the Dow Jones Industrials are up a mere 2% for the year. So quite, quite striking. So it's a very, very narrow market and, and uh, that leads to certain risks. Like, you know, uh, every, everybody uh, who's been around a while might remember some of the tech <laughs> crashes that we've had, 2000, 2001. Uh, we also had one uh, last year, huge tech crash. So sometimes the tech stocks get too ahead of themselves. And so now we've had a big bounce back from last year's destructive tech market, but maybe that's gone too far again. And, you know, with certain tech stocks up 100% and the index NASDAQ up 33%. Maybe that's too far. And if you've been able to invest in that and do well, great. If you uh, want to take some profits, maybe that'd be smart. Uh, but with the market so widely di- 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 diverse in return, uh, it's going to be hard to see that group continuing to go up forever. Yeah. Well, um, you know, one of the points that, that I would make here is it's it's the much talked about recession, right? We continue to push it back and push it back, right? Well, now they're talking about uh, 2024, where you're really going to see a slowdown in growth. And that's going to get people talking about the projection on, on earnings. So one of the things that has happened this year, I remember at the beginning of the year, everybody, pretty much everybody said, we're going to be down more in the beginning of the year, and we're going to have a second half rally. So we've got this end of first quarter, middle year rally, and it's created a a, a wealth effect. You know, people are feeling much better. Uh, you know, some of those tech names that were down 45, 50% have bounced back, you know, big time. They're up 70, 75%. So what that has done has created a wealth effect, and we see it in travel. We see it in a restaurant, right? So what the Fed is trying to do here is continue to have a stable dollar, raise rates without breaking something. However, the fear is with the slowdown in earnings and the concentration in the market, that with a couple more rate rises, there's a chance that they will break something. And that's why in interest rates, it's like a pool and a beach ball, right? The Fed continues to say, we are gonna be higher for longer, and then the two-year note will spike up to as high as 5.10 in uh, interest rate. Three days later, it's at 4.83. The market continues to believe that out there in the future, something will break. Yes. Well, and the Fed's going to keep pushing rates higher until something breaks this year. Last year, we saw Credit Suisse was on the ropes. And uh, and anyone who was around last year might remember that all of a sudden, uh, it was released that about $10 billion went out the back door of the Federal Reserve to country of Switzerland, that everyone was denying that Credit Suisse was in trouble. And sure enough, that's exactly what it was. And then uh, it, it wasn't enough. And they had to take Credit Suisse out earlier this year and merge them with UBS because Credit Suisse was failing. We also saw the Japanese yen and the British pound go through periods of contagion where the currencies got real volatile and went down. Same thing with the British pound. So 
the Fed will and and the, the central banks will keep raising rates until until something is a, a problem. Uh, then they then they work to patch it up and make it a little bit better. Uh, partly is the bond market is significantly larger than the stock market, and so the bond market is really a major issue. Uh, the bond market and the stock market fell in 2022 together. That's the first time in American history that we've seen both the bond, major bond indexes and the major stock indexes go down in the first, in one year together. So if they keep raising rates oh. as they are now, that same phenomenon could happen if we have a reversal in the stock market this year. So <clears throat> we'll see how that plays out. Uh, Jack, you, you've got some other economic numbers on inflation uh, in, the, in the dollar. Why don't we review those? Sure. Um, what what the Fed is waiting for, and what everybody is shocked by, is how how uh, durable the uh, job market is. So last week we saw ADP number come come out at four hundred ninety seven thousand. That was a that was a huge beat. Uh, and then two days later, we had the non farm number um, come in at two hundred nine thousand. Now, both of these numbers are seasonally adjusted. Um, I would like to point out that the non-farm number um, had beat consensus 13 or 14 months in a row, which has never happened. And it has people scratching their head on how can some of these things that we've never seen happen, um, happen. Uh, you would think from st statistics that it's highly unlikely. Um, but also the job market is a lagging indicator, okay? So if we see unemployment spike and we start to see job losses, um, I would suspect that very soon thereafterwards, you're gonna see the Fed cutting rates. So we have these, we have these uh, statistics that are questioned and um, it's not too far-fetched to see that you could go from uh, the economy creating 209,000 jobs to all of a sudden a decrease of 150 or something like that. Right. Well, and more and more numbers we're seeing, Jack, are plausibly impossible. Uh, speaking of plausibly impossible numbers, uh, the Chinese central bank is cutting rates. And you know what does that tell you? Uh, the rest of the world is still ra raising rates to get rid of inflation. So China always talks about positive numbers. They never get us negative numbers and, and we, we think we know why now. Uh, the Aussies and the Canadians paused, then they then they kept raising rates again recently. The European Central Bank is is hiking, then the US is on pause, now we're gonna raise again. As you said, they're gonna go in, in July, they're gonna go again, raising rates in September. Uh, so they're signaling two hikes. But yeah, the Fed is paused, but they're, they're most likely gonna raise again. Um, and we're seeing uh, some of the numbers, the CPI, of course, CPI, some of those numbers are easing a little bit, but they're still quite high. So um, the Fed cannot do anything uh, to slow down their movement. If the, if the market thinks they're going to stop raising rates, well, then they're going to react right away positively. They really want to slow things down. So they have to say they're, they're going to continue to raise rates until at some point they don't. And they're going to have to speak hawkish instead of dovish and uh, make sure that everybody realizes they're going to keep raising rates until they get inflation down below uh, 2%. Uh, a recent conversation that I was part of with a U.S. Senator who had a private meeting with Jay Powell apparently is saying, yes, 
uh, in private, the same thing he's saying in public, that they're going to be raising rates until inflation gets below 2%. So we got a little ways to go there, Jack, don't we? Yeah, well, and Brian would also say that they want to stay out of politics. The Fed doesn't want to be political, right? So whatever they're going to do, they want to get it done this year, right? Because 2024 is a election year and the Fed does not want to be meddling, right? They want to be out of that uh, out of that picture, right? So um, yeah, they should definitely be done by the end of this year. Um, we should see a uh, slowing in 2024. And I suspect from the futures markets where I used to work in, that the Fed will be cutting rates by the second quarter of 2024. Okay. But in the meantime, the meantime is what happens what happens to the stock market and uh you know there's 10 times more money in fixed income than stocks and i actually believe that the fed would like to see the stock market ease off a little bit here right and and, and have money move into fixed income not really? just money markets you know those those, those money markets that that we are now getting 5.05 to 5.10 Right, okay. money money will flow in there short term, but they really want money back into the treasury market, right? Um, so it's a it's a very interesting time. Um, I don't see the Fed cutting rates with the S and P at forty four hundred, right? That's okay. why I suspect not that the Fed is targeting asset prices. <clears throat> um, they know about the wealth effect. Um, but I suspect that when they are cutting rates, um, the market will be at slightly lower levels. Yes. Well, we'll see where it goes. And uh, those who are scared of the stock market might want to take a little bit of profit here. Um, but we're we're uh, in a position where we're getting more and more positive signals. So we're probably going to, we might, we might get fully invested in the near term. But of course, we have a governor on our program that should things turn down, we very quickly move right back out and get into protection mode. That's the four-star protection mode. So we'll see how things happen. We don't know what will happen, but we do have a plan. Uh, once we see what happens, we know what we're gonna do. So Jack, why don't we move on to what we see out there? There's a number of things going on that I think affect the world economy uh, and just comments about things going on in the world we, we wanted to highlight. So George Soros, who is uh, definitely a gentleman who uh, is uh, creating a lot of economic pressure in America. Uh, and he's very political, obviously, but he's speaking out about China recently that they're facing an economic crisis. We talked about how China's lowering rates here when everyone else is raising rates. That means they've already been in really, really tough economic times, but they don't really tell us that. I mentioned how they, they create the CPI number in China. So everyone's got to yeah, come up with a positive number because everyone's boss wants a positive number but many of the numbers are just outright fake. And so um, that's kind of how things are done there. Anyway, so Soros is saying that, you know, obviously President Xi is looking for his legacy in China being in control of the world and you know maybe becoming the leading economy in the world. But he says, because of the pandemic and the Omicron and all the other things going on, uh, they had a three-year lockdown in China, that that could be his undoing. Uh, the economy is very, very rough in China. And so that's why they're getting more and more aggressive with America. 
America has pulled back where, um, you know, we used to um, export dramatic amounts of goods from China and import it to America. But so much of that has slowed down. We're moving more and more toward India. Uh, and meanwhile, while we're pulling back from fossil fuels and getting into solar and wind and other clean energy, China's ramping up uh, their oil refineries while we're pulling back. So, mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a divergence in the world there as well. So the Chinese are clearly not on board with anything that America is doing. So um, the, the story of China is always fascinating. Um, we talked about how, uh, you know, the, the CCP influences to make sure those Chinese numbers go really, you know, really positive. The U.S. had a negative 32% quarter the second quarter of 2020. That was the pandemic quarter, the first pandemic quarter. Yet the Chinese didn't show negative numbers. It, it's virtually almost impossible for China to not have shown negative numbers, but they it still show positive numbers. They were down a little bit from before to make it look good, but they were they were still positive. They've been locked down for three years, and and so that must have affected them. Chinese uh, uh, leaders are now hosting Treasury Secretary Yellen, so they're still kind of apologizing and doing a lot of other things. So we'll we'll see what happens. Uh, many people are concerned that they believe our, our current president is compromised and is unwilling to go ahead and do much about China. Meanwhile, the Congress is fighting very hard to take some action on China. So uh, China is going to be continuing uh, continuing the subject, Jack, for Americans and how we deal with China. Uh, they clearly want to be the world leader and, and take America off our post as the world leader. So they become more of an enemy and an adversary than an ally is what it appears to be at this point. So, um, Jack, a couple other things too. Um, you know, we've seen some real changes in the economy and then a couple things politically I thought I wanted to mention. Um, you saw how socially making uh, very aggressive moves in advertising can change things. Bud Light lost 7.5% market share and then uh, they were replaced by Modelo as the number one beer uh, which was up 8% market share. Bud Light sales are down 30% and they're no longer now a top 10 beer in America for Bud Light to come from the number one beer all the way to not even the top 10. So that just shows you how business decisions can create big, big economic decisions. And a lot of it's cultural. Um, so uh, that was, you know, that's bad or probably worse than the new Coke disaster, Jack, if you remember that in the 80s, right? Yeah. Well, people are definitely voting with their pot, pocketbook and they're also voting with their uh, feet, right? So uh, people moving out of certain states and into other states and people not buying products that they don't agree with. Um, so it's, it's it's really a um, divided country, um, but, but uh, there are ways to fight back, right? That's right. Well, and then economic outcomes can definitely be affected by the government. Uh, for the last 30 years um, since Sandra O'Connor's comments uh, after the court changed affirmative action affirmative action first came in in the 1960s, the court effectively ended affirmative action. So now, uh, rather than racial preferences and using race uh, as something that can, can uh, make economic decisions, we're no longer allowed to do that, which is where things were. We're in a colorblind society. That's the way it always had been prior to affirmative action. And the court decided we've now gotten to the point where 
affirmative action was more discriminatory to different groups and it, it they no longer wanted to do that. So uh, affirmative action has effectively been ended. And also the federal courts have stepped in uh, to force the Biden administration to stop censoring speech and controlling social media. Um, the uh, judge cited that uh, the uh, activity during during the pandemic and the year and the year after that by the Biden administration was probably the largest theft of free speech in in, in American history, and they may have violated the First Amendment. So why that's important is that did affect economic decisions uh, where people were making comments about the pandemic, making comments about um, all things regarding the pandemic uh, with drugs. Uh, you know, different methoded methods for solving the pandemic, and they basically censored any speech they didn't like. The Supreme Court finally said, or the federal court, not Supreme Court, federal courts finally said, no more of that. Uh, we're going to have free speech. That's an element of economic growth as well, is to have free speech. And so now, uh, the obviously, the Biden administration is fighting it, but the court has spoken. Uh, lastly, I did want to point out, uh, Jack, there's a a big population trend that's been been going on for a long time from the northern states to the southern states from colder climates to to warmer climates and the south has become a major economic engine as a result of that um so when you look at the major states in the north and the east coast and then the south um 26 percent of all the wealth used to be in the north and then only about 19% in the South. This is about 30 years ago. That whole equation has changed. Um, it's now 26% of all the wealth is in the Southern states and only 19% in the Northern states. The so Southern states being Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Texas. Those are the strongest economic growth states in the South. And then the weak states, New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland. And so they, they've seen their wealth and their population go down. Now, it, it used to be just retirees that were going to the South, but now it's all demographics and seemingly endless set of businesses going from Northern states to Southern states. Uh, 2020, however, was the tipping point where states with few taxes and then also less lockdowns and less severe activity toward the pandemic, uh, that activity caused people to want to move and they brought their money with them. So the wealth transfer, Jack, between 2020 and 2021, Southern states gained, those Southern states gained over $100 billion of new new uh, wealth from people that came there. And the Northeastern states lost $60 billion in assets. So it's been quite a striking move. So now the Southern states are the economic engine of America. No longer New York, Connecticut, Maryland, and DC, and all those states around the North. Isn't that interesting? It makes perfect sense to me. We saw Ken Griffin at Citadel move his entire operation out of Chicago down to Miami. Yeah, I mean that's part of the that's part of the digital economy, right? Is yes. that um, you don't have to be in a certain hub, right? I mean, we used to have, you know, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, the Chicago Board of Trade, right? Everything is everything is now digital. So, um, and it just goes back to people voting with their feet. Mm-hmm. Well, and we're hearing proposals now in Chicago from the new mayor about uh, about transaction taxes and a whole series of other taxes. And the fear, of course, is if any of that happens, 
those businesses will continue to leave. We could see the Chicago Mercantile Exchange become the Miami Mercantile Exchange or something or something thereabouts, the uh, Houston Mercantile Exchange. So, um, so they have to be very careful, policymakers and what they do, because it definitely does affect commerce. It does affect people's decisions. And I remember uh, in, in the beginning of the MBA program that I went through at University of Chicago, the first comment when we walked in the room was, we are gonna study incentives for the next two years. And life is all about incentives. And you create the right incentives, people do the right thing. Create the wrong incentives, they also might just do the wrong thing. And right. so that's why it's important that the policymakers be very, very smart and judicious about how they tax the public. So I agree, I agree. I think we're mostly done, Jack. Um, I just wanted to highlight everybody. There's a number of blog posts that are out there that might be interesting to see on the fourstarwealth.com site uh, for the leadership matrix, the hydrogen uh, drilling now, uh, sustainable energy. If we're able to uh, make uh, hydrogen uh, a, a sustainable energy, that could change everything. Fossil fuels could change everything from wind, solar over to hydrogen. So it's very, very fascinating. So a great article on that. Then also just a behavioral finance article we put out about uh, do, does it make sense on how people make decisions? Like, does it make sense to take the $300 stipend from the airline and wait to take the later flight? Or does it make sense to not do that? And so there's a lot of ways people make decisions economically and some of it's rational and some of it's not rational. And that's in the whole department of, you know, what what is behavioral economics? How people make decisions really affects their economic outcomes. Uh, lastly, there's a couple of podcast interviews I want to highlight. One is already out and one is coming. Patty Arviello, uh, who's a leader of a very successful mortgage business in Nevada and California. Um, mortgage business is down like 80% with transactions slower, interest rates higher, uh, and then refinancing basically dead. So Patty has some very interesting comments about the mortgage industry and how they're doing and how they're managing through it. So uh, that'd be a good one to listen to. And then coming up in the next few weeks, we're going to be interviewing Andy Salk. And Andy is the president of First Eagle Bank in Chicago, which is a small community bank. But fractional banking is in question here. We've seen so many uh, big banks that that uh, failed in the last year uh, because interest rates are tighter and tighter. And so how do we manage fractional banking? We're going to hear from Andy Salk about how he how he does it and how his bank is doing fine and how many of the small community banks are doing just fine and not worried about interest rates going higher. So um, anyway, those are great interviews. Jack, we covered a lot here. I think we're uh, pretty much done for the day, huh? Thanks, Brian. It's been my pleasure. I always enjoy it. Thanks for being with us, Jack. And uh, thanks everybody else for joining us on today's Market Explained. We'll be back uh, with that Andy Salk interview. Uh, we'll also be back with another episode talking more about the economy. We'll see what happens if the Fed raises rates here and what the economy does, what the market does. And so uh, we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll be back soon with another, what we think is great episode of Today's Market Explained, a four-star media event and podcast. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye now. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, the best way you can support us is to leave a five-star review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And if you heard something here that someone else you know will find value from, please share the episode directly with them. 
Want us to answer your investing question directly on the next episode? Go to todaysmarketexplained.com, scroll all the way to the bottom and submit your question. Please follow at Today's Market Explained on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube to see the best moment video clips from every episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and keep on growing out there, everyone.